Merry Christmas to all and a very warm welcome to all of our guests here this evening. My name is Father Sintra. I'm one of the associate, associates here. And this is my first year as a priest. I'm just a baby priest. been a priest for about six months, I think. And I'm blessed to be here. This has been a great first assignment so far. So far, they haven't run me out yet. But I must admit, it wasn't always this way. It hasn't always been this way. Me living with the Lord, living in a relationship with Him, living in the church. I was for many years away from the church. And for many years just living sort of as a practical atheist. You know, maybe believing in God. If somebody asked me, do you believe in God? I might have said yes. Does God love you? I might have said yes. But how do you live your life? That wasn't as a Christian. More like a practical atheist. And in some years, like an Eastern, Catholic, an Eastern Christmas Catholic. Just coming to Mass on Christmas and Easter. And why am I telling you this? This isn't the time to talk about me. This is the time to talk about the birth of Jesus. But the point here is that this is the story of all of us. Because even though I was living away from God, the Lord never stopped pursuing me. And this is the same for all of us at every moment of every day. The Lord is always pursuing each and every one of us. And it may be easy to forget what Christianity is about, especially so many of us who were raised in a, in a Christian home, in a Catholic home. We were raised being taught to do all of the things, to go to Mass, to go to confession, to pray the rosary, to give to the poor, to visit the sick, to do the corporate works of mercy and so forth. But maybe we didn't really hear, we didn't really understand the why of doing these things. Why to live the Christian life? And the answer to that question lies in the, what's called the kerygma. It's just a fancy Greek word for the gospel, the gospel story. What is the overarching narrative of our lives? Now, folks who have been here in the parish for the last six months have heard me say this, tell the story in this way, roughly 300,000 times. So they're going to be yelling at me tomorrow for telling it one more time this way. But for one thing, repetition is the mother of learning. So it doesn't hurt to hear things again and again. But secondly, there may be many guests here who have never heard this story before. So if I were to ask you, why do you exist? And even if you have a Christian background, why are you here? You may think of something like to do things, even from the Christian perspective. God created us to carry out his work. But this isn't exactly the Christian message from the beginning. This isn't exactly the Catholic version of the story. Here's how that story goes. God, infinitely perfect and blessed in himself, God who is pure love, perfect in himself, in a plan of sheer goodness, freely created us to make him share, to make us share in his own blessed life. We could just stop here. This is why we exist, to share in his blessed life. This is the first paragraph, the opening line of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. We exist to share in God's blessed life. 
For this reason, at every time and in every place, God draws close to humanity. He calls us to seek Him, to know Him, to love Him with all His strength. Now, this is why we exist, because God, who is love, in a plan of shared goodness, created us to share in His love. And we know this from the example of our own families. Especially a healthy, integrated family knows that the father and and mother, out of love for each other, procreate and share their love with their children. They don't create their children so that their children can carry out their work for them. Do the commandments, do works of mercy. No. They create children so that the children can share in their blessed life. So it is with us and the Lord. This is the first part of that story. The story of creation. God who is love created us for love. But then of course that's not the end of the story. There was this trickster known as the devil. Who tempted the first humans, Adam and Eve. To make them believe that there was something better for them. Something better than living in God's blessed life. Something better than living as sons and daughters of God who could receive His love freely. That it would be better for them to be their own gods, to provide for themselves. This was the original temptation. And of course, Adam and Eve fell for it. And we've been living in the consequence ever ever since. Thinking that it is better for us to go our own way, to provide for ourselves. This was the initial separation between God and man. And that divided the human family from one another. It divided human communities from one another. But most fundamentally, it divided the human heart. Each one of us were now no longer inclined towards God alone, that for which we have been created. We're now inclined towards God. There's something in us that draws us towards God. But we're also inclined towards our own selfishness. Our own eager eagerness to provide for ourselves. There's a word for this. It's called pride. To not receive as sons and daughters what God wishes to provide for us. But, good news, that's not the end of the story either. God loves us too much to just leave us in that. This is not why God created us. God did not create us for us to go our own way. So God began a plan of restoration, a plan of rescuing. If we think about it this way, God created us, the enemy captured us, that's the fall. And now God begins, initiates his plan of rescue, of redemption. And he does this through the Old Testament prophets, through gathering the Israelites into a people of his own, teaching them commandments, teaching them ways to worship, teaching them how to restore this relationship. But all of this as preparation for Jesus, the Messiah, the one who would be born of a virgin, and the one who would be uniquely God himself and man. This is absolutely key. 
God has revealed himself to be three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So God came down from his seat in heaven, took on human nature, took on human flesh from the Virgin Mary, conceived by the Holy Spirit, and in doing so united divinity and humanity with each other. This is how redemption has taken place. It would not be sufficient for Jesus to not be God, and it would not be sufficient for Jesus to not be man. Jesus is 100% God, 100% man, and now divinity and humanity have been reunited in God's original plan of creation so that man and woman could share in God's blessed life. You hear me sing about this, sing if I can call it that. I've been working on my singing. The choir, the scholar is very patient with me. But you hear me sing something like this. By this wondrous union, we too are made eternal. By this wondrous union, the union of God and man, the union of divinity and humanity, we are made eternal. So this is something that God has done. God himself. This is not something that we create for ourselves. Remember, if we thought that we could save ourselves, we were just going off of the enemy's temptation, the enemy's inclination to provide for ourselves. This is, the, this is our having been captured mentality. No. God saves us. But now what do we do? Do we just sit at home and watch TV because we've been saved? No, now we respond. We respond to the Lord. And this is the fourth part. We give him our consent. We say yes. And we surrender our lives to him. This is what we're called to do. This is what we are invited into. Let me give you an image to, make, to help make this point. First, think of soldiers coming onto a beach. Picture, for example, the, the famous picture of D-Day. American soldiers coming onto the beach in France. June 6, 1944. Now, if I were to ask any of you, what are they doing there? You'd, very quickly, you wouldn't respond, they're coming to vacation, they're coming to enjoy a nice afternoon at the beach. No, I've, of course not. They're coming on that beach for one clear purpose, and that is to fight. That continent had been conquered by an evil ruler, and his empire, empire was growing. So now, these soldiers were coming to liberate those people that had been captured. Now, what about this picture over here? This beautiful nativity scene. This year, by the way, is the 800th anniversary of the Christmas crash, the Christmas nativity scene, who was initiated by St. Francis of Assisi. He wanted people to not have to do their pilgrimages to Jerusalem, that most people couldn't do, so they could come to their church and have their nativity crash. Same reason why he initiated the Stations of the Cross. But now, the nativity crash. So picture this scene. We have here the Magi, we have animals, we have, of course, Mary and Joseph, and we have an infant lying in a manger. What is that infant coming to do? 
Is it coming to fight? Yes. He is coming to liberate his people who have been captured by an evil ruler. A ruler who has enslaved his people under the power of sin. Let me give you some passages from Scripture. This is from the first letter of St. John. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. For while, from the Book of Wisdom, for while gentle silence enveloped all things, we're familiar with the Christmas tune, gentle silence, comes from this. And night in its swift course was now half gone, thy all-powerful word leaped from heaven. See, Jesus is the word of God, leaping from heaven from the royal throne into the midst of the land that was doomed, a stern warrior. This baby lying in a manger, a stern warrior. For a child is born to us, a son is given us. We just just heard this in the first reading from the prophet Isaiah. Upon his shoulder, dominion rests. They name him Wonder Counselor, God Hero, Father Forever, Prince of Peace. His dominion is vast and forever peaceful. From David's throne and over his kingdom, which he confirms and sustains by judgment and justice, both now and forever. This child is meek, yes, but he is also a stern warrior, and he is coming to liberate us. C.S. Lewis wrote, Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed, you might say, landed in disguise. This phrase, landed in disguise, is important. Not only did he land in disguise behind enemy territory 2,000 years ago, but he's going to do it again. I'll come back to that soon. Here's the point. God didn't become a man to tell a story although he told many stories. God didn't become a man to do miracles, although he, made, he did many of them. God became a man to rescue his creation, to save us from sin. Here's one more image. This is from the, the folks here in the parish know where I'm going. This is from the movie Taken, from 2008. Movie with starring Liam Neeson. Now here's a story, if you haven't seen it. I'm gonna spoil the movie, but I don't feel bad. It's been out for 15 years. It's the story of a retired CIA officer, and his teenage daughter has been kidnapped. And as she's being kidnapped, he gets on the phone with her kidnappers, and he just says to her, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you're looking for ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. Sorry, I can't do this as well as Liam Neeson. I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have is a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. I can see some of you mouthing the words with me. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that will be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. And there's this pregnant pause. And we hear from the other side. Good luck. They hang up the phone.
So now the rest of the movie is Liam Neeson's character going across the world, going to France, to where his daughter had been kidnapped, and going to rescue her from her, cap, from her, from her kidnappers, and risking his life and employing all of his skills to save her. And at the end of the movie, he finds her in a yacht in the belly of the beast and prevents an evil act from happening and saves her. And she runs into her arms and says, Daddy, you came for me. And he responds, I told you I would. This is the Christian story. You didn't know Taken was a Christian Christmas movie, did you? <laughs> Not only is Die Hard, never mind. <laughs> this is in all of us. This desire, this seed to be saved, to be rescued. And this is what God comes to do. But the key is, it can't be forced. If it, were for, if it were forced, it would not be love. It has to be a free choice, one that we're all invited to make. God invites us into this plan, into this rescue operation. So now we have the choice as we go back to our lives. Do we continue as, leave, as living as practical atheists? Or as Eastern Christmas Catholics? Do we continue living in bondage to sin, to the enemy, to his lie that it is better for us to provide for ourselves? Or do we say yes to him? Yes to share in his blessed life that for which we have been created. As I come to a close, I'll read you a paragraph by St. Leo the Great, an early church writer and pope. He wrote on a Christmas sermon, Christian, remember your dignity. And now that you share in God's own nature, remember, God's nature, God came to earth and united divinity with humanity together in the person of Jesus. So now we who have been baptized, we share in that. And now that you share in God's own nature, do not return by sin to your former base condition. Bear in mind who is your head and of whose body you are a member. Do not forget that you have been rescued from the power of darkness and brought into the light of God's kingdom. Through the sacrament of baptism, you have become a temple of the Holy Spirit. Do not drive away so great a guest by evil conduct and become again a slave to the devil, for your liberty was bought by the blood of Christ. If this is too much to remember, just remember Mary's words to Jesus, to, to the angel, or through the angel to the Father. She said, yes, fiat, yes, be it done to me according to your word. You don't have to remember everything that we have to do. Just have to remember this. Turn to the Lord and say, Yes, God. Yes, Father. I give you my life. And now we're pretty soon we're gonna turn here to this altar. We're gonna renew the Eucharistic sacrifice, the same sacrifice that Christ 
offered of himself on the cross is going to be represented here, right here on this altar, under the appearance of bread and wine. Remember I mentioned Jesus came in disguise 2,000 years ago as a baby, as an infant, behind enemy territory? Same thing. Behind enemy territory, in secular territory, Jesus is going to come in disguise, disguised as bread and wine. And he's going to make himself food for us. The word manger, Jesus came in a manger, that comes from the word to eat, manducare. We have that in English, manducate, to chew. That's what God is doing here. That's the symbol here. God is giving us himself to eat. And that's what we do. That's what we're invited to do at Mass. Through the priest, God comes down and makes himself available to us again. And as we look to him in the Eucharist and we say amen, the priest says the body of Christ, we say amen, and it's like us saying, Daddy, you came for me. And he looks at us with his loving eyes and says, I told you I would.